Good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. I just got to warn you, I'm nervous. I'm always nervous. So be patient with me. I'm going to try to follow my notes as best as I can. That usually goes out the window about halfway through. So <laughs> we'll see how far I make it this morning. Uh, let's open up in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. Lord, I pray that you would just be in control of all that's said and done this morning. Lord, I pray that my words would be yours. Lord, calm my heart, calm my spirit, my nerves, and Lord, just let me speak the truth. We love you, and I uh, just ask for your guidance in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Today, I'm going to just, I'm going to talk about, or I've titled my, my little study, The Pursuit of Truth. And as you know, we've been studying along with Bubba as he's been going through church history, and just this idea of how truth has woven itself through not only church history, but through our history as well. And how does that all play out in our lives? So this morning, I want to start off by just kind of giving like three, um, three definitions. Um, it's important that we um, keep definitions what they are. Um, there's so much going on in today's culture where we are changing the definition of words. Everything's being changed for, for our own, for, to our own desires, right? So I'm just going to start off with the word truth. What does the word truth mean? Anybody have any ideas? What does the word truth mean? What actually is? Okay. What's real? Okay. So the definition I have here is that which is true in accordance with fact or reality. So pretty much what you guys said, right? Okay. Um, so something else I'm going to mention today is this whole idea of post-truth. Does anybody know what post-truth is? We're living in a culture of post-truth. Basically, whatever you believe it to be, is what Doug said. Just to say something. Subjective, right? Um, the definition I have here is relating to or denoting circumstances in which objective facts are less influential in sh shaping public opinion than appeals to emotion and personal belief. So basically, we as a culture, I'm not saying us as Christians, though we may tend to lean that way sometimes, our, our definition of truth has to do more with, or tends to be more with, our emotions and our personal beliefs. So if that makes sense to you. Um, and then emotion. What is emotion? Okay. A natural, instinctive state of mind deriving from one's circumstances, mood, or relationships with others. So what is the one thing about emotions that's dangerous? They're not always true, and they go up and down, right? Um, they fluctuate. Um, they're not always based on real truth, right? They're not always based on fact or reality. Um, one of the things I was going through as I was looking at some of this thing, um, you guys know who Andre uh, Sakharov was? He was what we, or what history has called the father of um, the hydrogen bomb, which we know was 10 times bigger than the bomb dropped on Hiroshima. So, um, ironically, he also became an advocate of civil liberties, civil, civil liberties and also in 1975 um, earned the Nobel Peace Prize. Kind of ironic, right, when you think that he was the one who created this bomb that was going to literally annihilate the world. But one of the things that he realized um, through this bomb was, that, was the devastation, right? They had done testing. He had seen the devastation that it was causing to mankind and to our world and realized there's something much bigger at play here. Um, he was quoted to have said, I've always thought that the most powerful weapon in the world was the bomb, and that's why I gave it to my people. But I've come to the conclusion that the most powerful weapon in the world is not the bomb, but it's the truth, which I thought is interesting, right? If truth, truth is our most powerful weapon. Winston Churchill also said, in, in wartime, truth is so precious that she should always be attended by a bodyguard of lies. A lie gets halfway around the world with the truth before the truth has a chance to put its pants on. Truth is incontrovertible. Ignorance can hide it, panic may resent it, malice may destroy it, but there it is. Truth will always remain. If truth is the most valuable thing in the world, 
And if it is the most powerful weapon we have, and we are living in a post-truth culture where truth has become the father of hate and terrorism, then where does that leave us? Where are we? Where are we now? In a state of confusion? Living in a desert of lies? Being deceived from every angle? Say that division, right? Okay. If we live in this generation where truth is determined by mood or circumstances and relationships, how can we expect people to believe in the undeniable revelation of Jesus Christ? We know that the death or the birth and death of Jesus Christ is provable, right? It's undeniable. We cannot deny that. How do we know that? If you don't know that, then maybe we should do some more research. Maybe that's why we should be in Sunday school on Sunday mornings. Right. Um, when truth comes into being, it becomes more than just words on a page. Right. Jesus' birth, life, death, and res- resurrection was just that. When Jesus came to the world, revealed himself, he lived it out. He became that truth. He was a truth. John four six fourteen six, and you guys will have to just um, j- I mean not have to. You won't see me open my Bible this morning because I have it all typed out. So um, I have looked up every single one of these. But if you want to follow on, follow along, John 14, 6. That's correct. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Also over in John uh, 18, 37 through 38, Jesus was before Pilate and said to Jesus, Are you the king then? Jesus answered, You say rightly that I am a king. For this cause I was born, and for this cause I have come into the world, that I should bear witness to what? The truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Say that again. (laughs) Don't make me more nervous, Doug. I find it funny that Jesus was standing before Pilate, getting ready to be condemned. And Pilate himself asked the question, what is truth? Isn't that kind of funny? Seeing that at the very moment he asked the question, Jesus was standing in front of him. Jesus had just got done saying that the reason that he came into this world was to bear witness of the truth. Too bad he missed the point. I don't say all of this to cause more fear and for you guys to feel like there's no hope, right? And that there's not a point to all of this. We can take um, some hope in in God's providence. Um, We can also take power in his written word, right? If we go over to Proverbs 21, 1 through 3, It says, the king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Like the rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. God is in control of even our hearts. Hebrews 4, 12 through 13. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and tents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So though not all of this falls on our shoulders because we can't save the world, we do have a responsibility, right? We can't sit back in complacency and hope God is just going to take care of it all for us. He could if he wanted to, right? But he's called us to to, uh, share our faith. If I, if I hire a plumber to come to my house and unclog the sink, what do I expect him to do? Unclog the sink. If I hire a plumber and he comes to my house and looks at my drain and goes, yep, it's clogged, good luck, and walks out the door, what am I thinking to myself? Well, this guy's no plumber. 
right? And why am I going to pay him? Right? So likewise, we as Christians, we say we're Christians. That should be evidence through our actions, right? So we are required to give an account, to share the truth with others. So how do we go about doing that effectively? How do we avoid the trips and falls that are around us? Any ideas? Know the truth. Say again. Study the truth. That's where I was going next. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, what's the first word there? Study. To show yourselves approved unto God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of, the word of what? Truth. Truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, right? Why is the truth so important, and what does truth do? It reveals lies, okay? What else? Sets you free. Along those same lines, it also um, establishes justice, right? Um, What's the opposite of a truth? A lie, right? So, um, a couple weeks ago, I think Bubba said it, um, he said there's nothing new under the sun. And this problem and this struggle of, of staying in line with truth is nothing new. So this morning, I want to go back to the very beginning, back to a story we all, we all know pretty well. Um, in Genesis chapter 3 of Adam and Eve in the fall. I'm going to read um, chapter 3, verses 1 through, I think it's 10. Twelve, actually. I'm sorry. Genesis chapter three, verses one through twelve. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, "Has God indeed said to you, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden?" And the woman said to the serpent, "We may eat of the fruit of the tree of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die." Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband and with her, with her and he ate. Then the eyes of the, both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to me with me, she gave me of the tree and I ate. <laughs> I can't imagine the feeling that Adam and Eve were feeling at that moment and the feeling that God was feeling at that moment when they both realized, well, God knew, right? But the moment they both came face to face when Adam and Eve had to come to the realization they denied the truth and came face to face with reality. And reality was exactly what God had promised it was going to be. It was going to ultimately cause the death of both of them and all mankind. So I guess that's kind of where I'm feeling some of this strange emotion, maybe nerves as well, too. <laughs> I find this story funny on several different, um, several different levels. But starting in verse 1, it says, The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord and God had made. Now, um, 
I'm off. I'm off base here. Hang on. One definition of this word um, cunning in the chapter in verse one there is subtle. Um, however you want to look at this, whether you say he was subtle or cunning, you might also say he was smart and wise. Um, and he talked, which I find strange. The first thing that comes to my mind is C.S. Lewis, right? The Chronicles of Narnia and, you know, the talking, whether it was Tumnin or whatever, Tumnus or whatever his name was, the walking fawn. Um, and in my mind, I see this animal talking to Adam and Eve. But here's the thing. Adam and Eve didn't think that was weird. Eve didn't look at this serpent and go, wait a second. A talking snake? I'm out. There was something familiar about this. There was something that she recognized. She didn't think it was creepy. So what does that imply? Who was the serpent? Satan. How is it that Eve recognized this serpent, but it was Satan? What happened? Satan disguised himself? Did he disguise himself as a serpent? It was something that they something they knew. And isn't that the thing about truth? She didn't know it. She wasn't afraid of it. At this moment, there wasn't really anything to be afraid of, right? They really didn't, they didn't know what that was. My point is, is that truth today is being disguised. Much in the same way that Satan disguises himself as the serpent in this story. That was the first deception that caused Adam and Eve to go down this road, right? How is it that Satan was even to able to deceive them? They walked with Jesus or God in the garden every day. Well, the serpent had a reputation. What was that reputation? He was cunning, subtle, right? That's what the Bible says, verse 1. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, so they recognized him as something they could trust? Satan disguised himself as something that was trustworthy, which I think is parallel to what we're seeing in today's world. One of the ways that we are deceived is by being, well, we see things and they're disguised as something else, right? What are some ways that things are disguised that may deceive us today? What are some things that we deal with on a daily basis that are just disguised as okay or nothing really wrong with them. Music, that's a great one. That's kind of where I was going to go. Um, occasionally we'll be driving in the car and listen to Decay Love and every once in a while they have these pledge drives, right? And they seem to go on for years. And every time you hit the channel, it's like, we want more money, we want more money. I get it. But at the same time, it's annoying, right? So what do you do? You hit the search button. So Crystal and I and the boys are in the car, and so we hit the, hit the, the seek button, right? And here comes the song on the radio. Me and Crystal look at each other. Oh, remember this song? This is a cool song. We start rocking out, right? And then the words come on, and it's a mad race for the, the power button, right? Because <laughs> the words came on, and we both look at each other and go, oh, my gosh. Did you, do you remember that? I don't remember that. The words are were like so you know, not biblical, you know, they, had, they talk about things that we shouldn't be talking about. And what's the next thing we do? We both look in the back seat to see who else is listening. And then we got to make some sort of excuse of why, <laughs> why, why we even know the song to start with. <laughs> it's funny, right? But not really. It's a subtle way that Satan uses to get into our lives and to deceive us, to cause us to become complacent. <clears throat> yeah. 
That's a great point. We, we have been trained over the years to trust in our government, to put trust in our politicians, right? Of course, as we get older, we start to see the falsehood in it. And we start to see the, the truth or the lack thereof within that. But that's another way that we have been deceived over the ages. We've been, we've been deceived to think that we should trust anyone who has the, the title of authority. That's not always a bad thing, right? But we should always be questioning that or at least always putting that to the test of truth and seeing how it measures up against Scripture and against what God tells us. Here's another one that I see in our culture today. There's so much hatred and division, and every time we try to say something to defend the truth, an argument ensues or someone is offended. So under the pretense of peace and love, we keep quiet. So um, Satan has disguised even the truth and redefined it as hateful. Have you studied your Bible enough to be able to be courageous and to speak the truth in love? Ephesians 4, 14 through 16 says, then, will we, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is, Christ. From him, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So one of the ways that we can know the truth and be confident in it and not be swayed about is by studying the Bible, right? Living a life side by side with Christ. Now to my next point, doubt and redefinition. Verse, verse 2, well, starting verse 1, um, there with Adam, or, uh, Satan's uh, reply to Eve. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Is that what Adam said? You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Is that what God said? What did he say? Only one tree. Why would Satan flip that around? He knew, right? Why did, he, why, did he, why did he pose it to Eve that way? Casting doubt. His whole purpose was to start Eve's mind down this road of doubt. Did God really say that? Wait a minute. Why would it be just the one tree? Maybe it was all the trees. Maybe it wasn't. You can see where the mind goes especially when you're trying to seek something out or when you're actually trying to even satisfy your own desires, you start to twist things around and things in your head start to become blurry. But Eve said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the tree um, which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. In my mind, I see Satan flipping the command to create in Eve's mind the start of her distrust of God and his love, like God is just trying to keep her and Adam in the dark so he has something over them, not to really save them from death. I mean, there's only one tree you can eat from? What's so special about that tree? Like I mentioned before, our culture has begun to redefine what was once the truth and exchange it for something that appeals to our emotions and our own personal beliefs and gratification. Romans 1, 24 through 25 says, Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator. Ultimately, when we start traveling down this road of truth, there comes a point where we are faced with a decision that we have to make. What is that decision? Are we going to glorify ourselves in the decision 
or are we going to glorify God in the decision? Unfortunately, I think a lot of times our desire is to glorify ourselves and not so much God. And I think that's where Satan was going with this whole line of, of questioning with Eve. He was trying to put in her mind that she needed to be the number one, that her desires were more important than what God had in mind for, for them. Right, so he didn't say anything about not touching it. Right. Yep, completely, completely creating this, this doubt in her mind about what God really said. That's, that's also very true, and that's kind of where I was going next, too. You know, we know that God is good, but sometimes that gets flipped around on us in culture. Um, I actually have that written down here. Pardon? I lost a thought again. You think so? <laughs> yeah, I, I would like to. I would like to think that he he stood up for the truth at some point too. But um, unfortunately, the Bible doesn't say that. And I'm only going to assume that he's just as guilty as she was. Right? She watched this whole thing, or he watched this whole thing transpire, and not once said a word. Um, so I don't, yeah, we want to make that very clear. Adam is not innocent in this whole <laughs> endeavor for the truth. Um. Just to reiterate, reiterate the point of self-gratification and exaltation. Proverbs 3, 6-8 says, In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Be not wise in thine own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. It shall be health to thy flesh and marrow to thy bones. Have you guys experienced this in your lives? Self-gratification, self-exaltation? Never? Man, I'm the unlucky one. <laughs> Let me just be honest with you. I was always thinking about why I'm so nervous every time I get up here and talk. I have to admit to myself that some of that is pride, right? I'm afraid of what you guys are going to think. I'm afraid I'm going to say something wrong. And really, what is that saying about my trust in God? It's hard. It is not easy. You know, that verse says study. Study to show yourself. You know, it's not easy. And it's not just opening the book and just reading the words. It's studying it, paying attention to it. And above that, living a relationship with God. Jesus didn't come to the earth and just spout off a bunch of words, right? He lived a life. He showed by example what it was like. Ideas, thoughts.
I don't have this in my notes, but if you guys turn to Second Corinthians chapter 10, this is one of my favorite verses, one I like to quote when I'm praying or just when I'm thinking of myself. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6. So as for that we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God. For pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself self against the knowledge of God. Bringing every thought into cavity, captivity to the obedience of Christ. And being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. So like Hoyt was saying, we don't war against the flesh. It's all up in here. It's all um, spiritual warfare. But this book, the Bible, the truth is for us to learn by and to live by. And the more of this we put into here, the more we are able to live it out to discern what's false, to be able to see those little the little ways that the world is trying to sneak in um, um, falsehood and lies. They're, you know, they, they want to they package it up as a nice pretty package that's attractive to everybody. But inside is this, is this lie. Um, I don't know how many times have we heard in the, in the Bible Jesus confronting the Pharisees, right? They were these people that were supposed to be the leaders, that all the, all the people had trust in. They looked good, right? They lived the part. But all that was there was what they wanted out of it, was their gain, was their, their power struggle to take, you know, to be in control of the people financially and whether, you know, their lives. You know, God calls them whitewashed tombs. Look great on the outside, but inside they're full of death. And that's kind of where I was going to end up. So we'll just start transitioning that way. So one of the things I was looking at, and I've looked at before, some of, these, some of you who have been in my Sunday school class before know that um, when we start looking at our youth, it's something like three-quarters to 80% of youth, once they leave the church and go off to college, fall away. That's a huge number. That's a huge number. Why is that? It's not because they haven't been going to church. It's not because they haven't been getting the word. So where's the problem lie? Well, in the statistics, some of it's because of hypocrisy within the church. Either they don't feel like they're a part of the church. Um, they're seeing hypocrisy within their leaders. Their leaders aren't living good examples. So they're being, they're being pushed away that way. Some of it's because when they go off to college, they don't know how to connect and, and uh, put themselves back into some sort of a... Um, a Christian group or a church. So why is that not there? Where's the where's the disconnect? Where's the fall away? It's it's not simple. So how do we safeguard against that? So what, what was one of the things that Adam and Eve seemed to have forgotten in this, whole, in this whole story? What did they do every single day? They walked with God every day in the garden. How is it that they forgot that? How is it that they forgot the love that God had showed them through all of that? Well, it's back to self-gratification, back to serving self.
Susan. So I think from that perspective right there, I don't know, for those of you who are watching, you know, Dave was just saying that the reason that Adam and Eve slid away from what the truth was is because they didn't honestly believe that God had their best interests at heart. Now, how do we as Christians avoid that same pitfall? The Bible says, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee, right? So the more word we have hidden in our heart, the more ammunition we have against Satan. Not only that, but the closer we live our lives on a day-to-day basis with him, the more we open ourselves up to him and his leading. You know, um, oh, what was the gentleman's name that came last Sunday? Tom Myers, right? Um, Tom Myers has a tremendous amount of scripture memorized. What a tremendous example for us to hide God's word in our heart. Um, I was going to say something else he said. I can't think what I was going to say now. Um, oh, he was talking about how we have not because we ask not. You know, and committing things to God in prayer. I think one of the reasons we don't understand God is because we don't give God a chance. We don't really trust him with our lives. We do everything on our own. We want it our way. We want the, the instant gratification of the apple. We want to, to instantly have the knowledge and to be wise. But we're not willing to put in the effort because relationship is hard and it requires time. And how many times have I said, I'm too busy? You know, but where am I at? During my day, I'm texting or emailing. You know, if I got time to do those things, why don't I have time to spend it with God? Why don't I have that time to pray and ask God for something? Or to commit to Him my concerns? Or to commit to Him my kids or my family? If I'm not giving God, or if we are not giving God the time to show Himself in our lives, how can we expect anything different? How can we expect to even be able to withstand culture and Satan when He comes at us? We can't. Can we? I'm sure I haven't been successful at it. I think a lot of our problem is our relationship with God is not as deep as it should be. Shallow, right? God's not real in our lives because we haven't given him the chance to be real in our lives. I love that point because it's so true. We forget. There's so many things in our lives we take for granted. What are some things that God does in our lives every single day that we take for granted? (laughs) We breathe, right? (laughs) Every breath we take is a miracle. You guys know that in science right now, scientists can't explain how this world is held together. They still don't know. They still can't tell us how the world stays together in one piece. Colossians tells us exactly how, right? God holds it all together. 
Thanksgiving is a huge part of why we forget, well, not Thanksgiving itself, but the lack of Thanksgiving, right? Um, I love Psalms 107 because it is just the whole chapter is about um, being thankful. You know, in the chapter, the chapter has something like, it has uh, 40 some verses and the 47 verses he mentions being thankful one, two, three, four, five different times. And not just for the good things, for the bad things too. Um, there's so much that we have to be grateful for and thankful for. Sometimes, well, I used to do better about it. Now I have a prayer journal of answered prayers um, or prayers that I've prayed. Um, and every once in a while I go back to that prayer journal and I go through my answered prayers. I haven't done it in a really long time. It's something I should get back to doing because it is one of those things that helps me to remember who God is and what he's done in me, in my life, um, for me. Um, and I think that's important. You know, I appreciate you bringing up that idea of being thankful. Ephesians 5, 8 through 13 says, For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the world, in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord, and have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light. For whatever makes manifest is light. Go back to your point there, Hoyt. So again, back to my original question. Why is the truth so important? It's our anchor to our soul. And where do we find the truth? In the Bible. What about personal experience? So if God answers my prayer, is that an experience? Okay. So there is something to be said for our for our relationship with God. Right? Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's a great point. Right. Right. I think one of the reasons that we shy from truth sometimes is it does expose in ourselves our own sin. You know, to your point, that's a, that's a great. Um, that's why it's so hard sometimes for us to to see the truth is because we're afraid of what it's going to expose in ourselves. Um. I'm missing something, but anybody else have anything they want to say?
I think back to the earlier conversation about kids and them falling away. It's sometimes because they haven't, it isn't their first nature. I think a lot of times that's maybe some of our fault as parents. We push it on them, force it on them, and they kind of just, they kind of put, they dig their heels in, and it doesn't really become their own. I mean, there's a strange balance there that we have to find with teaching them the truth and then letting them, you know, experience the truth for themselves. But this whole idea of church history, for me, in my thought process, is so fundamental to our belief as Christians. Um, You know, our belief is not just some willy-nilly faith that we have. It's not just... something we do out of like, oh my gosh, should I do this or should I not do this? Faith comes by what? Hearing by what? The Word of God. The New Testament? The Old Testament? All of it? All of it. Church history includes the Old Testament. A huge part of the Bible is the Old Testament. It's the foundation that weaves Jesus in to the New Testament. And we see that woven in all along the way. It's not just a bunch of numbers, you know, and names and genealogies. There's a reason for all of that. It's hard to get through, right? We know that, and that's why we got Bubba here. <laughs> I, I say that jokingly, but, you know, it's up to us to search out the truth, to study, so that we aren't just tripped up and we don't just fall with every wind of doctrine that comes along. Go ahead, Brendan. I think the key there is how and who we do it for, right? Not merely just doers, but why are we doing it? We're doing it for the Lord, for for the Lord, right? For a purpose, not for ourselves. It, it is right, but our motivation behind doing it needs to be just as important. So, just in as far as all I have. Um, Just in closing, the truth is so important because it exposes the lies, it exposes sin, it helps to promote justice. It's it's unpopular now to oppose anything that's going on in culture because it's deemed as hateful, right? But if I stop my son from sticking his hand into the stove, Am I really being hateful or am I saving him a heartache? Am I saving him from pain? If I have the ability, if I have the truth and I don't share it, is that loving? Even if it causes pain, justice and truth are painful sometimes and we can't be afraid of that. And in today's culture, that's going to be our battle. It's going to be this fight that is going to be hard to, to, to win because the world is going to change. Everything that's being said, what was once was good is now bad, and what was once bad is now good. And we see that more so ever today than, than I can ever, I can ever remember. I'm not that old. Any other comments or questions? I appreciate you guys being patient with me. And uh, uh, let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for this time. And I am so grateful that we are in a position where we can still get together and talk about you. We can still um, talk about truth. We can still um, meet together as a body of Christ. Lord, I pray that we would not put that aside 
for other things in our life. Lord, I pray that we would put priority on knowing you, living our lives with you, and then sharing that with the world and with one another. Lord, let us not um, seclude ourselves and exclude other believers, but let us be um, brought together in unity as one to be more effective for you. We love you and we thank you for this day. In Jesus' name, amen.